Good afternoon and welcome to the Brussels Chicago Riga Summit. Landmark Summit. Warmly welcome all of you at the NATO headquarters. Our 25th, 17th, first summit meeting of the 21st century. Hello and welcome to NATO Summit Behind the Scenes, the podcast where we explore the machinery that goes into a NATO summit. I'm your host, Bruce. And I'm your host, Mariana. And together, we're speaking to people from inside and outside of NATO about all the work they do surrounding a summit. In this episode, we'll talk to a certified communications expert from NATO's press office. We'll learn about how NATO's public diplomacy division prepares to host press conferences with journalists from the world's biggest media outlets. And maybe we'll discover that the real summit was the friends we made along the way. To get a behind-the-scenes look at the work of the NATO's press team, we have invited Dylan White. Dylan is a press officer in NATO's public diplomacy division, the part of NATO that communicates and engages with the public and coordinates NATO's strategic communication activities. He started as an intern at NATO and has now been working here ever since. In 2016 and 2017, Dylan served as NATO's youngest ever acting spokesperson, and he still occasionally steps into that role when needed. He is, to this day, one of only three press officials who are empowered to speak on the record for NATO. You might ask yourself, what does that mean? I'm sure that he can tell us all about it now. Welcome, Dylan. Thanks for coming. Thank you both so much for having me. I'd just like to start by saying that I love working in communications because it is incredibly diverse. Uh, so, of course, working in a press office, uh, responding to queries from the media is core business. And our press office here at NATO headquarters deals with up to around 4,000 queries from journalists every year. And these can be on any topic under the sun that relates to NATO, from arms control to cyber defense to relationships with partners. So in developing the right answers with our experts, you're always learning, which I really, really like. Mm. Uh, drafting public messages is another key responsibility. This means writing press conferences and lines to take for the Secretary General and other leaders, as well as web stories for the NATO website, fact sheets, social media content. In, uh, in non-COVID times, the job also involves running press tours, and that means taking media, journalists, to see NATO deployments, activities, and exercises around the world. And uh, my favorites have included trips to the Canadian Arctic and to see NATO's Baltic air policing uh, in action from the back of a Lithuanian plane. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, finally, at times when I deputize for the NATO spokesperson, my job involves preparing the Secretary General and Deputy Secretary General for the hundreds of media engagements they do every year in Brussels and around the world. I should mention there are about two dozen members of the press team at NATO headquarters as part of the Public Diplomacy Division, which counts around 90 staff. So we work hand in hand with our colleagues in communication services, who ensure we're putting out fresh video and digital content. They keep our website, social media channels, and our TV and radio studios humming, like this one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's us. That's you. <laughs> uh, our engagements team uh, works hard to promote NATO to key audiences like students, think tanks, and parliamentarians, and our strategic communications and assessments colleagues bring additional structure and insight to our work. So communications is really a team sport and teamwork is key in everything we do. Wow, that sounds very <laughs> impressive. Yeah, it sounds kind of like you're a jack of all trades of media and communications. You have to be, but it, it keeps it interesting for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually just had one random question for you. You mentioned that um, you receive over 4,000 media queries every year. Um, can you think of any that you know stand out as being notable or, or kind of strange off-the-beaten-path ones that maybe you did or did not feel the need to respond to? I can think of two, actually, that come to mind immediately. <laughs> One was from a well-meaning journalist mm -hmm. who wrote to us at NATO 
thinking that she had reached NASA. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we said, you know, thank you very much yeah. for your interest. You're looking for someone else. Yeah. That's one. And uh, the other was from a Spanish game show, TV game show. Mm. And it was a fact-checking department. Uh, for, I think the, the TV show was called something like Boom. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> That's perfect for NATO in some respects. <laughs> well, and uh, they wrote to, the fact-checker wrote to us uh, just saying, you know, can you confirm that uh, can you confirm that Montenegro was the 29th country to join NATO is one of the going to be one of the questions on their show. And I got to write back, boom, you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice moment. Yeah, wow. that's great. <laughs> and so how do you, do you become a press officer? So to be honest, I had never planned on becoming a press officer and I had never planned on working at NATO. <laughs> uh, to give you the kind of the Reader's Digest version of the background, after I finished my master's degree in international relations, I was working at a temporary job at the Canadian High Commission, that's the embassy uh, in London, which I loved, but I was keeping my, my eyes open for uh, other international opportunities. And one of those was the NATO internship program. Mm. So I was lucky to be successful at that, and that's how I got my foot in the door. That wasn't even in public uh, communications, public diplomacy, but in the operations division at NATO, okay. so something completely different. But after my internship finished, I worked a couple of temporary jobs in NATO until a vacancy opened up in the press office. I applied for that, and six years later, here we are. <laughs> so I actually I have no formal education or background in communications. But my degrees in English and international relations have proven to be a good fit. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, life can surprise you. But as long as you feel like you're learning and you're putting your skills to good use, you're in a good place. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I'm sure it's a real like on the job, everyday learning experience. Trial by fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And do you like it? I do. I love it. And uh, one reason why, is, as I say, because every day you're learning something new. Yeah. That's, that's true. And uh, what would you say is your favorite part of your job? You've mentioned these international trips, but I, I have to imagine it's also a bit of a power trip to get to talk to all of the international media, or at least it feels, you know, like a lot of responsibility. It does feel like a lot of responsibility, uh, but it is it is fun. And there, there is it's a rewarding feeling to mm -hmm. see the output of teamwork. Right. Because all the work that goes into developing messages and to crafting the right, the right messages for the right audiences and seeing that reflected then in the world's media is rewarding. So that is one of the things that I enjoy very much about the job. In normal times, non-COVID times, I do enjoy traveling very much. It is, it's a lot of work taking the show on the road, but it, it is something that I enjoy, at least at this stage of my life. I may yeah. grow out of it. <laughs> okay. And so um, speaking of the summit, uh, what are your responsibilities at the NATO summit? So in a way, the essence of the work is, as I described earlier, uh, but with the pressure and media attention turned up to 11. Mm -hmm. right? So bear in mind... <laughs> the eyes that, of the world. Exactly. I mean, bear in mind that summits normally mean hundreds of media present, thousands more following online, and a global audience. So I actually went back and I checked the stats from the 2018 NATO summit, which is the last one we hosted here in Brussels. And over the week of that summit, our media monitoring and analysis colleagues tracked around 57,000 TV clips on oh. the summit, and over 30... 1,300 articles in key media. And the potential reach of that coverage was 1.3 billion people. Wow. So summits are a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so a lot of the work takes place in advance. And that includes uh, drafting public messages for the summit. That includes press conferences for the secretary general, web stories, social media content. We work with colleagues across the public diplomacy division and across the headquarters to ensure we're aligned and as effective as possible. And of course, we also have to coordinate with allies, the 30 member countries of NATO, to make sure that everyone is on the same page with consistent and united messages. And then 
and summits themselves, the summit days, it's like a fever dream is how I would put it. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're intimidating and hectic, but ultimately rewarding when you see all that planning come to life. And again, at the 2018 summit, we had more than 1,000 media physically present here mm-hmm. at our headquarters, coming from 76 countries. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to ask about that you just alluded to previously mm. was... In your role as a press officer, especially if you're acting spokesperson, um, you have to speak for NATO and speak for 30 countries united in one voice. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about what what that's like and how that comes to pass? Sure. So speaking on behalf of an alliance of 30 nations and a billion people mm-hmm. is a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, in doing so, you need to make sure that you're accurately reflecting the views of the alliance. And so that means you need to keep across all NATO policy developments. So that means attending meetings of the North Atlantic Council, which is, of course, the alliance's decision-making body. It means going to committee meetings. It means reading policy documents. It means uh, mm-hmm. meeting with policy experts from across NATO. It's not always easy, of course. Uh, but as the listeners may or may not know, decisions at NATO are taken by consensus, mm-hmm. unanimous consent. There is no voting. So when NATO reaches a decision, it means all 30 nations have agreed on it. And that unity is a pretty powerful backing when you communicate to the public. Yeah. And uh, speaking of world events, you know, not just ones that we have plans like the summit, but, you know, things can happen that then NATO has to react to. So what does the what is the press office like when you have some sort of situation and there's a pressure to respond really quickly? Sure. So in a crisis, I think the most important word is often wait, Mm. wait, because, as you say, there is often pressure to react immediately Mm -hmm. When there is a development, which may or, you may or may not have all the facts. Mm-hmm. And it's always better to be sure and to go slightly later mm-hmm. than to be quick and wrong. Yeah. So because the stakes are so high. The stakes are, are very high. Exactly. And so, you know, cool heads are really important. Uh, taking a step back, gathering all the relevant information and speaking to everyone you need to speak to. So that means mm-hmm. getting the ground truth uh, from the people as closest uh, as close to the information as possible means consulting with public affairs colleagues uh, who may have information that you don't, depending, of course, on, on the issue. And it means consulting uh, and getting approvals from the different parts of the House that, that are needed. So there's a lot of uh, information gathering and, and coordination in, in terms of putting together a, a response or a reaction. But mm-hmm. as I say, a key word is often wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Given the scale of the summit and other diplomatic engagements, when you're speaking on the record for the alliance, how does that feel for you? Do you ever feel intimidated? The short answer to that is yes. <laughs> I, I had actually, I had just turned 28 when I first became acting spokesperson. And it was literally just a few days after that that I had to moderate my first press conference uh, with the Secretary General and the President of Georgia. Wow. And, uh, and you can look up, if you care to, photos of that event and you can see the fear in my eyes. <laughs> just the sweat uh, running down yeah, the forehead. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. So I'm joking or, or half joking. Yeah. But I mean, stress can be good. Stress can be motivating. And I'm also lucky to have never been alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm part of a team of great professionals in the press office, across the public diplomacy division and across NATO. So, of course... That definitely helps. <laughs> and um, so having been the youngest ever acting spokesperson uh, at NATO, where do you see your responsibility to filter in uh, a younger perspective? 
It's a good question. So when I stand in as acting spokesperson, I see my first responsibility as supporting NATO's leadership and effectively communicating NATO's positions. Mm -hmm. That's number one. But of course, diverse perspectives do make organizations stronger and better. And we know that. And, uh, and reaching out to younger audiences is a priority for us. I would say that, especially at the beginning of my NATO career, I was sometimes the youngest person in meetings by 20 or even 30 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and being at the table does give you the opportunity to speak up for issues that are important to you. So, uh, for example, I'm, I'm, proud of, uh, I'm proud of my work in drafting the first ever content on LGBTQI plus perspectives for the NATO website mm. to mark the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia a few years back. So I would say that I'm a big supporter of more young people mm -hmm. at NATO and of our internship and young professionals programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really great. And what you were saying about, you know, being sometimes the youngest person in the room by 20 years and and having the chance to, to express that voice. That's great. But I also am curious to know, like, is that not intimidating? You know, how did you when you first arrived in those situations as a younger person, um, how did you kind of develop the, the courage of your convictions to speak in this type of environment? That's a really good question. Uh, it, of course, it can feel intimidating uh, when you're by far the youngest person in a room. And I think to an extent, imposter syndrome never really goes away. <laughs> you feel like everyone else here deserves to be here. And I somehow snuck under the radar. Relatable. As in, how did one become a, a podcast host? You, <laughs> you, know? are, you are. And you deserve to be here. But I mean, it, it helps to realize I think that many people at various stages in their careers experience imposter syndrome. They feel like they don't belong and they're just going through the motions. But by going through the motions, they actually become expert in the things they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, putting that in perspective, I think helps. Uh, it's also about having allies. You know, that, that word has a special <laughs> resonance in NATO, meaning yeah. member countries of NATO, but it also means having allies in the organization. And, uh, you know, sometimes those are mentors, people who are older and more experienced than you are, but are willing to give you the floor, give you a chance to express your opinions. Uh, and that's, that's really valuable in cultivating those relationships. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And uh, did you ever feel like maybe you weren't taken as seriously because you were younger than the other members? I think it, it can be intimidating to be the youngest person in, in a senior level meeting. Uh, and one of the things I, I advise people who you know, may feel out of place or like they're, they're younger than, the, than the, the average age in a room is to, uh, Bruce, you said, you know, having the courage of your convictions. I would say choosing your moments carefully, knowing when to speak up and, mm -hmm. and about what and ensuring that when you do, you're adding value to the conversation. Because I think that's how you're seen as a contributing and valuable member of the team. Okay, mm -hmm. that's some really good advice for yeah. our younger <laughs> <laughs> listeners. Well, and for our older listeners, and for everyone, <laughs> for myself, definitely. Um, one other thing you mentioned was talking about the the importance of finding mentors and and mentorship and and having a, a good team. So I think that's a great way for us to pivot a little bit and talk more about the summit and and the team that you work with, including the spokesperson and what it's like to uh, prepare her and the secretary general for this major event that's coming up. Sure. So, I mean, it, it won't surprise you to know that uh, weeks or months of preparation go into preparing major events like the summit. Uh, I mentioned earlier attending tons of meetings so that you're, you're aware of all the positions of allies and the key policies and the key decisions that are going to be taken. 
an important part of what we do is we brainstorm mm. about all kinds of issues that might come up, black swans, kind of unexpected mm. events uh, that might uh, throw that us movie. off our game. <laughs> it's a great movie. I love it. Uh, and ensuring that we have responses or lines to take kind of on, on all kinds of things that might come up. So that means lots of meetings, as I say, lots of edits to lots of drafts. Uh, of course, it, it shouldn't surprise you to, to hear that the Secretary General and the spokesperson always want to be ready for any issue that might come your way. Mm -hmm. uh, so before media engagements, uh, we do run drill sessions. Some people call them murder boards. Okay. Uh, <laughs> to review all the material over and over yeah. and over and over until it becomes second nature. So that's that's really important. So does that involve like, um, like a mock press conference then that you would have with one of them answering questions that you kind of throw at them? Essentially, yes. Okay. You uh, you kind of try and think up the toughest questions you can. Like a gotcha uh, type of, yeah, they're trying indeed, to get a sound bite. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, you, you think of the, the toughest kind of prompts yeah. you, you possibly can, see how the answer comes out, and then you kind of, you workshop that. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's often how you get to, uh, get to improve messages. Okay. And uh, so from your uh, press perspective, uh, how would you say the summit differs from any other diplomatic engagement that the Secretary General uh, carries out throughout the year? I think the key difference is one of profile. I mean, unlike uh, an engagement, say, with a, a national leader or a visit to an exercise, you know, that might uh, attract national or regional media attention. Summits are truly international events. And that's not surprising. I mean, given that at least 30 uh, allied leaders are attending mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes more uh, at summits uh, to which partners are invited. So uh, so I think that the key difference there is, is scale, uh, the scale of the event. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I think that uh, we're about ready to wrap this up, and we always like to ask our guests, since we are the behind-the-scenes at the NATO Summit podcast, for a behind-the-scenes uh, anecdote or story that you might have from a previous NATO Summit that you participated in. Okay, so this is an embarrassing story. This Perfect. Is, Those are our favorite. We're ready. <laughs> it's a secret between you, me, and whoever else is listening to this yeah. podcast. So the, the 2021 Summit will be my sixth since I started wow. working at NATO. Mm. But the first one that I worked uh, was the 2016 summit in Warsaw, mm. and you always remember your first. <laughs> so on the first day, at the beginning of the first session, I was in the meeting room with the heads of state and government, mm. but I could not find my seat. Oh, no. So I stood against the back wall during the opening ceremony. And so everyone stood up. Uh, troops from all the NATO countries came in to the room. They presented their flags. There was a musical, uh, a musical ceremony. And then when everyone sat down, I still could not find mm. my seat. And on the big screens up in the room being broadcast live to the world, you could suddenly see the secretary general opening the meeting and me <laughs> against the wall looming over his shoulder. And so I slid along the wall until I was out of the shot. And then they changed the camera angle. Oh, and, there it was again. and at this point, I literally dropped to my hands and knees oh, and wow. I crawled across the floor yeah. until I found a seat. And so I can laugh at it now. But at the time, I wished for the sweet embrace of death. I was so embarrassed. So I'm, I'm happy to say that it, it only got better from there. Yeah. Uh, and that's my summit anecdote. Okay. Well, uh, your story. We need the footage. Yeah, we need the footage. And it brought me on an emotional journey from like being traumatized of junior high, I don't know, games of musical <laughs> chairs in elementary school, all the way to like a Mr. Bean sketch at the end. So like it that. was nice. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us. Um, 
it was great to learn about what the press office does and uh, and I'm and especially thank you for taking the time given that we have a summit coming up in not very long so exactly and yeah. thank you for sharing that amazing story with us <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that <laughs> thank you yeah. both thank you so much thanks thank you Thank you for tuning in to our NATO Summit podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will continue to demystify everything about the NATO Summit. And a special thanks to all our colleagues at the NATO Studio for their help recording this podcast. Make sure to subscribe on your preferred platform so you don't miss any episodes in the future. Bye! Bye.